Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for the deconstructing and reconstructing and everyone in between, trying to discover faith and spirituality beyond the walls and fences of institutional Christianity. As I'm recording this episode, we've just celebrated the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., And I want to extend my sincerest thanks to all of you who choose our little podcast from amongst all of the many options out there in the realm of faith and spirituality. As always, remember that you can find every episode of this podcast along with our blog over on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. Accidental Tomatoes is the content site for New Wineskins, a non-traditional contemplative online faith community for spiritual exiles. Check out newwineskinsnetwork.org to learn more about our weekly Zoom gatherings and how you can get connected. As I just mentioned, I'm recording this episode just after Thanksgiving, which means we're entering the four-week season of Advent that leads us up to Christmas. For faith communities that follow the traditional liturgical calendar, it's the beginning of a new cycle of prescribed scripture readings and communal practices that mark the highlights of what I like to call the Jesus event. Advent is commonly known as a season of waiting and anticipation as we look forward to our celebration of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth some 22 centuries ago in a little Palestinian village called Bethlehem in what was then the nation of Judea, the former southern kingdom of Israel. It's a time when we retell and remember the stories leading up to Jesus's birth as recounted in the Gospels of the New Testament, primarily from the books of Matthew and Luke, which contain those birth narratives. Another tradition many of you are probably familiar with is the lighting of Advent candles on the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Like many other modern Christian rituals, the lighting of Advent candles is largely believed to have evolved from pre-Christian practices marking the coming of winter and its shorter days in the Northern Hemisphere. It wasn't until the 19th century that it was popularized liturgically, although many traditions are believed to have had some form of the practice as early as the 1600s. Now, I point all of this out just to really emphasize the richness of practices that modern Christians connect with Advent. While many churches today seem to see Advent as little more than the build-up to Christmas, and we're going to unpack some of that here in a few minutes, it, it is, in fact, its own distinct season, full of its own rites and rituals meant to prepare people for the new reality that many believe Jesus represents. Now, I have to admit that in my own upbringing, we really did tend to see Advent as basically, you know, get excited for Christmas season. My sister and I had these little Advent calendars um, that that we used to count down the days until Christmas. Usually they were in the form of sort of like a shallow box that was mounted upright with a cover decorated in all kinds of Christmassy images and then little doors like for each day of December. So when you opened up the little door, it revealed like a little tiny piece of chocolate. But it was also a time that we paid special attention to our behavior, right? Because we knew that any misdeed might make its way back to Santa Claus, who would then deem us too naughty to receive gifts on Christmas morning. All of those days of flipping through catalogs and circling images of the toys we wanted, dog-earing page corners, and dropping hints to our parents would all be for naught. 
And in the 1960s and 70s of my childhood, Advent was also the time when all of those animated Christmas shows were on TV. So our entire family calendar was built around the once-a-year treat of cartoons like Frosty the Snowman and Charlie Brown and the Grinch and those magical claymation stories, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Little Drummer Boy, and of course, my personal favorite, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And remember, this was all in the days before you could record a show and watch it later, and nearly a half century before our current digital distribution that basically lets you watch anything you want, anytime you want. These shows came on once a year, and if you missed one, you were out of luck for the next 12 months. So all in all, it was really quite a consumeristic set of routines that we were in. And as far as I knew at the time, that was the way everyone marked the Advent season. The only spiritual significance I have any memory of was the weekly Advent candle lighting in church on Sunday mornings. And then as you got later into December, the nightly rehearsals for the annual church Christmas pageant, which was basically a dramatic reenactment of Linus's soliloquy of Luke 2 in the Peanuts Christmas special that we all know and love so well. So by the time I kind of wandered away from church in my late teens and early 20s, Advent wasn't really something that I thought much about. If I thought about it at all, I really thought of it as sort of the pregame for Christmas. Time to get the shopping done, time to plan all of the holiday parties, time to check off all of the lists. And that was also about the time that I started to realize that my experience was far from normative that there were lots and lots and lots of people in the world who didn't have such holly jolly Christmases as I grew up with. Folks for whom the Advent Christmas pregame meant harder work or longer hours or no work at all, and the desperation that comes when society puts on the pressure of providing that perfect Christmas for kids whose families simply could not afford it. And so by the time I started to kind of wander back into the church in my late 30s and early 40s, Advent had really become devoid of any real meaning for me. It was a marker on the calendar, like any other, uh, on one that in the long run didn't really make much difference in my own life. But then kind of a funny thing happened. As, as my family started to get involved in our church community as our own kids were starting to flip open Advent calendar pages and rehearse for Christmas pageants, I started to realize how fast it all seemed to go by. As a kid, it seemed like that season leading up to Christmas just lasted almost forever. It lasted a long, long time. Maybe it was just the impatience that comes with anticipating some big event. But in my memory, those days seemed to really slow down. And as materialistic as it all was for the most part, the month leading up to December 24th and 25th seemed to move in slow motion and, and allowed experiences to really soak in deeply. And so later in life, I found myself longing for that. I found myself wishing that I could just put on the brakes and slow the season down to enjoy it more for myself and to make it more enjoyable for my family. And for some reason, somewhere along the way, I decided that the best way to do that was to really lean into Advent. Not just the four-week pre-Christmas tailgate party, but, but the richness of the liturgical season. 
to go more deeply into the stories of Elizabeth and Zechariah and John and Mary and Joseph, to stop breezing through the genealogies and start to try to understand their deeper meanings, to pause and reflect on the weekly themes of hope and peace and love and joy, to be more charitable to others, to participate in service projects, to serve meals at food pantries and collect clothing and toys for families in our community and around the world who didn't have the same economic advantages that I enjoyed. And to think about what it really meant to prepare for the birth of Jesus rather than simply getting everything ready for you know his birthday party. And surprisingly enough, it actually worked. Throwing myself into the liturgical season of Advent really did seem to slow its pace in the way only intentionality can do. For the first time in years, December didn't seem like a blur. Christmas didn't come and go in a rush. For the first time in my life, it really did feel like there was some meaning to Advent. Somewhere around 2007 or 2008, I became aware of a movement called the Advent Conspiracy that was launched by some young evangelical American pastors, and it was a movement that proposed to shift the focus of Advent from a season of materialistic consumption to one to what they called um, relational giving, right? And the idea was to give gifts that were more relationally meaningful than expensive, and then to use whatever money you managed to save to participate in some kind of a charitable project like drilling water wells in areas of the developing world where clean water was not a given to be taken for granted like it is for most of us in the global West. It was all very noble, and it was all very imbued with self-congratulatory good vibes. And then deconstruction came along. If I had a sound effect here, I'd maybe say, dun, 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 deconstruction came along. Now, I often joke that my deconstruction was Methodist, and so it wasn't as deeply traumatic as it is for a lot of you uh, who come from more fundamentalist, evangelical, or charismatic traditions. While I did have a lot to unpack and unlearn, most of it honestly was more academic than it was personal. There were certainly manipulative practices rooted in supremacist theologies that I started to learn to see more clearly and begin to dismantle, but I didn't experience the level of outright spiritual abuse or trauma, let alone physical and emotional abuse and trauma that a lot of you I know have lived through. But as anyone knows who has experienced religious deconstruction in any form, once you start pulling on the threads of doubt and questions, you have to keep on pulling. And so even my renewed understanding and appreciation of Advent needed to come apart. Because even though the season had become meaningful for me in all new ways, I began to realize that even its new to me meaning was still rooted in a lot of privileged theologies. After a while, it wasn't really enough to just study scripture more deeply and serve meals and collect toys and give away old clothes and raise money for water wells. Not that there was anything wrong with those things. But the more I dismantled the privileged theologies of both my childhood and my return to church life as an adult, the more I started to realize that I couldn't serve meals or collect toys or raise money for water wells without also 
working to dismantle the systems and structures that made that kind of charity necessary. That the scriptures I'd been studying so deeply and so diligently weren't primarily meant for people like me who lived in white skin and a male body in the 21st century in America, but for the expressed and exploited people from all places in all times. That I had to rethink what all those stories and all our rituals meant through a lens of justice and liberation. I had to deconstruct Advent and Christmas and everything I had come to believe about what they meant. And like all deconstruction, I had to face a choice either to reject those practices altogether or figure out a way to make sense and make meaning of them. And since the former didn't seem like a realistic option, I had to figure out how to do the latter. Luckily, by that time, I'd become part of a group of folks who were also experiencing various types of spiritual deconstruction and disorientation from the institutional church. Our new wineskins community that I mentioned in the opening, which started as a discussion group in a local brew pub for folks who consider themselves spiritual exiles, gave me a group of people with whom we could process our deconstruction experiences together and imagine what for us was a better way of making sense of faith and spirituality. As our group grew and matured into a real spiritual community, we started to explore new ways of looking at all things theological, including Advent and Christmas. We started to think about what it would look like not just to make the season less consumeristic, but also make it more justice-oriented. We started to talk about how this season of waiting and anticipation is about more than just Jesus's birthday, but about how we all as individuals and as a community can embody the cosmic Christ spirit that seeks liberation for the marginalized and excluded. Now, I know in some ways it, it might seem odd that a group of church misfits still attach any meaning at all to traditional liturgical observations. But what we found is that by reimagining and recasting those observations, through the perspective of justice and liberation, rooted in contemplative practices linked directly to our actions, we're discovering an even richer, even more meaningful Advent season. So this year at New Wineskins, we've made our theme Advent Reimagined. We're retelling those biblical narratives leading up to Jesus's birth through the lenses of four verbs that remind us that Advent is not just a time for theological navel-gazing, as Richard Rohr is fond of saying, but a time when what we do matters as much or more than what we think or how we feel. We've replaced the traditional weekly themes of hope, peace, love, and joy with the action words of expect, renew, liberate, and love, love as a verb rather than as a noun. For a group of spiritual exiles like us, it's a constructive way of deconstructing Advent that helps us focus on the central belief that the Jesus for whom we're waiting this season is only God incarnate because he is love embodied. And that's the way that we're choosing to follow. Well, thanks again for listening to this short uh, episode on deconstructing Advent. Uh, I want to say again how deeply I appreciate you for trusting us with your time and attention. 
And I hope that somewhere within all of this, you can find something meaningful that can be helpful in whatever spiritual journey you find yourself on. As always, we welcome your feedback on this episode or any suggestions or ideas you might have for future episodes. You can reach out to us on any of our social media pages just by doing a a quick search for Accidental Tomatoes, or you can drop us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And so as always, my friends, please keep on growing outside of whatever walls and fences have shut you out. And join us next time for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes Podcast.